If you are new to Element, welcome. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables around the room. They look like this. On the front side, you're going to get the verses we cover, a place for notes, four simple questions, same questions every week. On the back, you get a recap of what we are talking about. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We come up by GPS in your smart device. You get sermon notes, verses, questions, all that goes with today's message. If you don't know who I am in the last three weeks and you've been here, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Esther chapter 1, verse 19, and it says, If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed, that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us what it means to be those who understand that who we are, our lives are meant to be centered around you, that our salvation is not dependent upon our character, it is dependent upon what you have done. But in understanding our great salvation, that would in turn change how we begin to live, so that you would be glorified, your people would live in joy, and the world would know more who you truly are. Amen. Have a seat. We are doing this series called Not So Little Women about different women in the Bible. Uh, I think you, as I said, you get a lot of stories about the men in the Bible, but we wanted to focus on some of the stories you may not have heard, or maybe, you, maybe you've heard them, but maybe in a little different way. Today I'm going to jump in because where today is not technically a two-parter, it can be. We're going to look at two women from the book of Esther. Obviously one of them next week will be Esther, and today we're going to look at this woman named Vashti. If you have a Bible, open to Esther chapter 1. If you're going to use one of the Bibles at Element, that's on page 262. Vashti, she is going to set up Esther. And I think there's lots of speculation about her. She's really hard to pin down. But this is a story. And God loves to tell stories. And I think throughout all of eternity, we're going to see this amazing story that God has done to show His goodness and His love and His redemption. And so this is how the book of Esther starts. Esther chapter 1, verse 1. Now, in the days of Ahasuerus, now, I'm like a kid driving a stick shift. I'm going to stop all the time. Ahasuerus, that is Hebrew. Have you ever heard of King Xerxes? That's Greek. Same guy. So I'm going to use those words interchangeably. So now in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus, who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces. In those days, when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all of his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him, while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days." 180 days. So half a year, you have this party. Half a year is how long we spent in the book of Galatians. That's a, that's a pretty long time. You guys told me it. That's a really long time. 180 days. How does anybody survive a party this long? Well, what is actually happening is they're taking and moving different people from all the provinces. Xerxes has probably gotten to the point where he's consolidated everything. He sits down in Susa, and this is a, hey, thank you for those who helped, and you better not go against me for those who didn't. He brings them 
all through. Artaxerxes, the guy who comes after him, his court physician said that as many as 15,000 guests were entertained in Persia at once during these banquets. That's a lot of people, a lot of people moving through. Verse 5, And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa the citadel, both great and small, side note, the men, okay, the men, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Now, there's a Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, it will translate that first 180 days as a doche, which means a banquet. And it translates the second seven-day party as what is called a potos. And a potos means a drinking party. So this is forgiven, given for all the men who are in the citadel of Susa at the end. It's probably his favorite, waited till the last to bring them in. And hey, all the banquets are over. Now comes the after party. And now they been drinking for seven days, and when dudes drink for seven days straight, bad things start to happen. This is where you meet Vashti. Verse 9, Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. This is probably because the women were not invited to Oktoberfest, or it's November, the Novemberfest, and so she gives a thing for them in the palace. So who is Vashti? Well, as I said, her story is really convoluted. It's hard to pen down. Most of what we know about her comes from sources outside the Bible. In history, the only widely known wife of King Xerxes Ahasuerus was this woman named Amistris. And I think what's interesting is God in the book of Esther is going to show us a relatively unknown queen. And she becomes one of the most noble people in the book, at least for chapter one. Now, in what is called the Talmud, you know, lots of words today, the Talmud contains this thing called the Midrash. And Midrash is essentially rabbinical writings that talk about the Old Testament and history. And this is where we learn a lot about Vashti. Now, the Babylonian Talmud, which were written by rabbis who were in Babylon, they do not like Vashti at all. They are very negative towards her. They say that she was a wicked Jew hater. And she may have been, we don't know. But they say that she was just as licentious and debased as her husband, Xerxes. And so when you first meet Vashti in verse 9, Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. They said she did that at the palace, not in the women's quarters, which would have been appropriate for women because they can't be in the palace without the men. He did it at the palace so that if Xerxes' lust became inflamed, he could then satiate that with any of these women who were there. They say that Vashti was so adulterous and reveled in her sinfulness and displayed it to anybody who would look and listen. And what you will see in just a moment is I don't think that's actually true because Vashti, you will see, values her honor more than almost anybody else in the book of Esther, including Esther. So these rabbis probably say this about Vashti because they, the Babylonians are the ones who came and took all the Israelites into captivity. They destroyed the temple. And so there's this deep-seated ethnic hatred towards these Babylonians. It's an ethnicity issue that nothing good can come from anybody who was a Babylonian or a Chaldean. It's kind of like today. North Korea, many Islamic states look at any Western country as being evil. If you go back 60, 70 years, all Russians were said to be evil. That's why people love Rocky IV. Like, that's the one where Rocky goes over to, you know, Ivan Drogov, I shall crush you. And he beats and we're like, yeah, America. It's a movie. It's a movie. Rocky's not even real. But hey, we, we love those kind of things. Paul will write Titus chapter 1, verse 12. One of the Cretans, so not Paul, but one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars. 
evil beasts, lazy gluttons. The Roman poet Ovid said, uh, Crete, he refers to it as Mindax Creta, meaning lying Crete. Uh, the Greeks used the word to Cretize for a liar. Paul said that well-known saying, but we're all Cretans liars. No, no, they're not. Were all of them lazy? No. Were all of them beasts? No. But that's how the world felt. And Paul will send Titus to Crete in order to go and proclaim the gospel because he, God loves the people in Crete. So you look at these Babylonian rabbis. They saw what happened to their country. They were angry about it. They were disillusioned about it. They had a bias against all Babylonians. And for the rabbis here, Vashti represented all the Babylonians, especially the local Babylonian women, again, who they said were promiscuous Jew haters. Emphasizing all those negative traits probably aided in erecting a ton of barriers between these people. I mean, God called his people when they were in Babylon to love the city, to serve the city, to give to the city. And yet there are all these barriers because of how the rabbis looked at any Babylonian. It's probably one of the reasons why Jesus re-emphasizes God's intent that we're supposed to love our enemies. Now, on the other hand, you had a different group of rabbis known as the rabbis of Eretz Israel, meaning from the land of Israel. And they will portray Vashti mostly in a positive light. They would say that Vashti was a scion of a royal dynasty and deported herself with proper honor and nobility. Now, despite that depiction of Vashti, they do find a flaw. They believe when Xerxes first wanted to allow the Jews to go back and rebuild their temple, that she stopped him. They say, Vashti said, you want to rebuild what my forefathers destroyed because now the Persians have taken over the Babylonians. And, and she's like, I'm a queen, don't let them go back. Now, we don't know if she did that or not. But the rabbis of Ritz Israel, when they talked about Vashti, they said she was kind of noble, but yet her downfall when Esther comes in, they saw that as a reversal of their fortunes, that God had allowed the temple to be destroyed and now Vashti is gone. So now the Jews are going to be lifted back up again. Okay. So what happened? Well, here's the story. You got a lot of history. Here's the story. Esther chapter one, verse 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, not a good way to start. Okay, not a good way to start. Xerxes showing off as well. Six-month party, goes to his seventh-day benders, getting hammered. The NIV actually says in verse 10, on the seventh day when King Xerxes was high, was in high spirits from wine. Now, what I'm going to do is make this like some ancient church liturgy where I will say something and you're going to respond with the saying back to me. Your response back to me is going to be, and that's how the fight started. All right? So just try it. Okay, let's try this. One year, a husband decided to buy his mother-in-law a cemetery plot as a Christmas gift. Don't say it yet. It's not where it goes. Okay? All right. The next year, he doesn't buy her a gift. And she says, why didn't you buy me a gift? And he said, you didn't use the one I bought you last year. Perfect. You guys are great. A wife walks into the living room and asks her husband, what's on TV? And he says, dust. Yeah, all right. A husband is talking to his wife. His birthday's coming up. He's like, I want something shiny. Goes from zero to 300 in three seconds. And so she bought him a scale. <laughs> uh, one more, all right. <laughs> a wife and a husband, they're at a high school reunion. The husband looks over at this woman who's just drinking and drinking and drinking. She's like, how in the world does he drink so much? And so the wife says, do you know her? And he says, yeah, I used to date her in high school. I hear that after we broke up, she hasn't been sober ever since. And the wife says, wow, how could anybody go on celebrating that long? 
All right, here we go. Esther chapter 1, verse 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded, uh, commanded Mehuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zethar, Carcass. If you can't think of a name for your next dog or your firstborn, there you go. The seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princess her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. And now you respond. Now, you may not think, oh, he just wants to say how beautiful she is, but there's a whole lot of stuff going on here. The king is drunk after seven days. Hey, guys, all of your women look like trolls on holiday. Have you seen my wife over here? Months of drinking. The historian Herodotus writes that Persians are extremely fond of wine and, that when, and they are not supposed to vomit or urinate where anyone can see. Probably why he throws the party in the garden. Garden translates as paradise, or we get a word paradise from. So they have all these trees to do their business behind. It is usual for them to be drunk when they are debating the most important issues. However, any decision they reached is put to them on the next day when they are sober. If they still approve of it, when they are sober, it is adopted. But otherwise, they forget about it. So Xerxes issues a command after he has been drinking. He doesn't reconsider it. The Babylonian Talmud says that at this banquet, there is an argument that erupts. Some said, oh, the Median women, they're the most fairest. And other people said, no, the Persian women are the fairest. And Ahasuerus replies, and it's very vulgar. He says, the vessel I use is neither Mede nor Persian, but Chaldean, Babylonian. Do you want to see her? And they said, yes, but only if she's naked. And so when you read in verse 11, bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown, almost all Jewish and secular historians reading this believe that Vashti was commanded to come wearing only the royal crown, meaning naked. Now in the Midrash for Esther, they write this, when the Israelites eat and drink and make merry, they bless and praise and extol the Holy One. Whereas when other nations eat and drink, they turn to lewdness. If you look throughout the Old Testament, God calls his people to gather for feast days and parties for community dinners. You know, all these things where you're supposed to have, you know, choice wine and good drink and good food. Why? Because we're to develop our relationships. We're to worship God for his goodness and grace, how he draws us together. It's meant to be an amazing thing. But what do most people do with the gifts God has given? We turn alcohol into drunkenness. We turn food into gluttony. When these things are meant to be good gifts that God leads us into greater relationships. When Xerxes makes this order, he is treating Vashti not like a queen, not even like a concubine, but like a piece of meat. How does this go over? Verse 12, but when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Good for her. How'd that go over? Then the king became furious and burned with anger. It does not go over so well. Hebrew readings are, or writings are all tied together because here Vashti will refuse to come and she'll be punished. Later you will see Esther, she will come unsummoned and she is not punished. Now Vashti refusing to come, some people say this is her just being stubborn. I think it's her being noble. There's a lot of sexual nuances in the Hebrew writings of the book of Esther. And Vashti she could have thought if they find me attractive, they may kill me or kill the king and want to take me for themselves. Or if they consider me ugly, I might disgrace the king. Both horrible ways to look at your life. I understand that. Okay. But this is the day and age this was written. But you have to understand when the Bible relates these things to you, it's not saying this is a good thing. What it's doing you is showing the sinfulness of mankind and what we constantly do. When you read these things in the Bible, some people say, oh, the Bible condones this stuff. It does not. It does not. 
It is showing you what we do as we ran away from God's call in our life. Now, upon refusing to come, the king's ego, it suffers a blow. He gets angry. He starts asking his buddies, well, what should I do? I'm going to skip through this a bit. I'm going to read mostly this out of the NIV. I will do some ESV, but we're going to jump through this. Verse 13. Since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matter of law and justice, he spoke with the wise men who understood the times. So the wise men translates as astrologers. So he's like, what do the stars say I should do about this? Uh, according to the law, what must be done to Queen Bashti? He asked. She has not obeyed the command of King Xerxes that the eunuchs have taken to her. He's like, what can I do? He's so mad, he talks about himself in the third person. Verse 16, then Memucan replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but also against the nobles, because they didn't get to oogle her, and all the peoples of all the provinces of King Xerxes. Really? Is that what we say? Really? For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, and say, so they will despise their husbands. Now, the word despise here is this word for scorn. It's the opposite of honor, and in their mind, it's the opposite of obey. They will despise their husbands and say, Queen Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord. Seems like he's freaking out just a little bit, right? Like if he was married, his wife doesn't like him very much. Uh, verse 19, if it please the king, let a royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it may not be repealed that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus. Now you might think that's not a bad deal. This means they killed her, all right, that they put her in the ground. Verse 20, also let the king give her royal position to someone who is better than she, meaning someone who obeys then, when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all his vast realm, all the women will, will respect their husbands, from the least to the greatest. It's the law. you got to respect me. doesn't matter how much I've been drinking for a week or how crazy I am. It's the law. Yeah. The king and his nobles were pleased with this advice. Of course they were. Skip to verse 22. He sent dispatches to all parts of the kingdom, to each province in his own script, and to each people in its own language, proclaiming in each people's tongue that every man should be ruler over his own household. And thus it has been forever since. No, right? Okay. Now, the Babylonian rabbis, they say that Vashti wanted to come, that she got what she deserved. But what happened when she was ready to go, that God cursed her with leprosy all over her body so she could not go and show off herself to all of these men. If that's true, I think Xerxes might have been a little more accommodating in this. Uh, other people say that God sent the angel Gabriel down and stuck a, a tail on her so she didn't go out. The uh, rabbis of Retz Israel don't go that far, but if she did stop the decree of them being able to build their temple, they're fine with what happened to her. What do you learn in this whole thing from Vashti herself? Because that's who we're looking at. And I think what we can learn from Vashti is the ideas of respect and honor, especially if she was being noble and saying no. And that's my take on her. My, my wife and I tried to have kids for years, and I kept telling her if we had a little girl, I wanted to name her Vashti, someone who actually respected herself. Like so far in Esther, you've seen the king likes to drink a lot, uh, that his officials like their power, and Vashti in the end liked her honor or being honorable in front of others. 
She said what she did and died for the sake of it. The king asked something inappropriate from his wife. She refuses. The king and his buddies go crazy and they decide to get rid of Vashti and get a brand new queen. But what you see Vashti do is she fulfills her role as a queen and a member of the royal household until it violates her honor. Now, we don't know if that's how her life began. And next week we'll talk about this in Esther, that how you begin, it's not the big deal. How we end is what we want to look towards. And you see in the scriptures how she ended. So I want to give you three points. Actually, originally I had two, but I made it three. Number one is this. We are to live honorably in our lives because we represent Christ. We're not representing Xerxes. We're not representing Vashti. We represent who Christ is. A few years ago, I took you guys through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus talks about letting your yes be yes and your no be no. A couple years ago, we went through the book of James. We also talked about that in the book of James, because in that day, people would make promises to one another and to God, and they were finding all these ways to get out of their vows. They looked for loopholes to be dishonorable and not have to feel convicted for all the things that they said that they would do. Like if I said to you, I swear to you, I'm telling the truth. And you said, I don't believe you. I said, well, I swear to God, I'm telling you the truth. I swear to God on two stacks of Bible, stand on my mother's grave, you know, with, I swear by all that's holy. I'm telling you the truth. And then you find out that I was lying and I go, oh, but I was crossing my fingers behind my back. That's what they're saying, a way to get out of it. See, our problem today is that we have these little white lies. We just naturally fall into lies or we blame others so we don't look as culpable or as guilty as we are. We in our lives have to be honest enough to see the places that we become dishonorable without even realizing it. Do you know the most famous story, at least when I was in grade school, about not lying, was George Washington cutting down a cherry tree. George Washington cuts, remember the story? Yeah, okay. So George Washington cuts down a cherry tree. His dad says, who cuts down, who cut down the cherry tree? And George Washington supposedly said, I cannot tell a lie. It was me. I cut down the cherry tree. That is in a biography written by a guy named Parson Weems in the 19th century, and he made the story up. Yeah. Yeah. So the most famous story in America about not lying is a lie. <laughs> Anybody who says that they don't lie, guys, we have to be honest. All of us do in different situations. And mostly I think you'd want to tell me the truth, but I absolutely think you would lie. Jesus wades into this and says, this is absurd. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. How does that happen? It happens when our lives are grounded upon what He has done and not upon who we are. That's how we live honorably. It comes from Christ as our King. Now, we don't know why Vashti ended the way that we did, but we know the reason why we live the way that we do. Let your yes and your no be no, as I said, it comes out of the Sermon on the Mount. And the whole push of the Sermon on the Mount is this theme that Jesus says, you're to be salt and light in the world. We're to live honorably. We're to be trustworthy in the world, not because that's what saves us, but because we are saved, we have been blessed. And so we become a blessing to everybody else. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he will go uh, from blessing, fulfillment of the law, anger and murder, lust, adultery, divorce, because divorce is rupturing of an oath. He will go to revenge, love for enemies, true good deeds, not to puff yourselves up, but true good deeds in service of, of others, how to pray. Basically, how do you commit your entire life, your entire household to who God is? And you see again and again that this 
this is where he pushes us towards. His teaching is about how God has been committed to us and the reason why we commit to him and that we can live in God's world in a way that is trusting. It is non-anxious. It is Christ honoring. And we all need to learn this now more than ever because we live in a culture that is so self-obsessed that we don't even realize it as we swim in these streams. We have these things called selfies. And yes, I take a selfie. But when my wife and I are on vacation, we're in like these beautiful places and you have these people standing in front of them. They have someone taking their picture and they're like this. It's like, oh, I didn't even know they were taking a picture of me. And then they'll go grab their camera, look at it, delete, delete. Okay, do it again. Also, they can post something online and say, oh, look at this candid shot that people got of me. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I can't believe it. It's, it's all self-centered. We live this way. We're trying to convince people that we are more or better than we actually feel or think that we are. And Jesus says you can actually live in God's world in a way that you live as salt and light, full of hope, coming from the trust of Jesus, where you can actually let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't need extra words to try and bolster your credibility because if you cannot convince other people about the believability of the honor of your life and how you love Jesus by how you live, many times your extra words aren't going to help. They're just not going to help. And I think Vashti teaches us to live honorably. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. The second thing I think that we learn in this is we should lovingly help develop honor in others because they are also made in God's image. Now, this is an interesting thing. This comes out of the Midrash when speaking about Vashti's interaction with the king. They say that she didn't just say no to the king. She actually tried to honor him by sending back three different times different ways to say, hey, maybe you shouldn't do this. Maybe you shouldn't do this. An attempt to persuade him to withdraw that demand. So she would have wisdom. And she starts with first logic. She told him, if they see me and think me beautiful, they will want to lie with me and they could kill you. But he doesn't listen. So she sends back again and tries self-respect. If they think me ugly, you'll be disgraced because of me. She hints at trying to save his pride. He doesn't listen. And then she pushes for honor. She says, you want me to come naked? Even my father, when he judged litigants in a trial, would not judge them if they were naked. She seeks these three different ways by which to persuade Xerxes, Ahasuerus, to withdraw his request. Vashti, trying to speak truth, tries to steer her husband back from making this horrible mistake. And when he will not listen, when he tells her to do something that is clearly evil, she says no. And far from being disrespectful, as all the men feared, she's trying to bring respect and honor to someone she may not have had that much respect for. And she ends up being honorable. And this is a question about our lives today. How do we respond to those in the world who we find dishonorable, who are doing lots of things that we don't agree with? Are we just angry and like, you're done? Or do we find ways to try and step into their lives and reveal the truth of who Christ calls us to be so that they can actually have some hope and not be so obsessed with the selfie culture that we live in? Do we love them enough to speak truth to where they are? And I'm going to be honest here. I do not in the least think that Vashti was a follower of God. I do not. I mean, I, I can't judge anybody's hearts, but 99% uh, sure. Okay, I'm pretty sure because she was a Babylonian. But I think God puts her in the scriptures to show us some truth. Again, we don't know what her early life was like, but we know how she ended. There are some people who will dismiss Vashti as a passing character, but Vashti sets up Esther to become queen, to save her people. And rather than being a passing character, without Vashti, there'd be no Esther. See, you, you'll meet this guy next week named Mordecai. He is Esther's 
cousin or uncle, depending on the commentator that you read. And what he says to her has been taken out of context a lot, but he says this in Esther 4.14. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And in chapter one, you meet Vashti. And who knows whether she was where she was for an exact time as this that we can learn and then she can set up Esther. As in the end, guys, we are all where we are for such a time as where we are. Whatever you experience, whatever you're going through, wherever you live, and we're supposed to be there to love God first and love our neighbor second because we love God first. How do we love God first? We realize He first loved us, which takes me to my third point, which is this. Character is great. It is wonderful, but character does not save us. Only Jesus saves us by His grace. I think people today get pretty tired of people who claim to be Christians and they run around with Christian bumper stickers on their car, Christian fishes on their trunks and Christian books on their shelves and Christian radio stations on their radios and Christian jewelry around their neck and Christian videos for their kids and Christian magazines on their coffee table. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But when we claim this and have all of these things, but we're not living the life Jesus actually calls us to, all those things are worthless. We are meant to live the life He calls us to. Those around us that we find dishonorable many times need honorable people who love Jesus to help them, to stop condemning them and to show them what the truth actually is. And not condemning doesn't mean you can't call sin, sin. Vashti clearly says what the king was doing is wrong. That's definitive, no. But there's a way to do that that honors those who are being dishonorable. The Apostle Paul points out in the New Testament that we're all rule breakers. Romans 3, 23 and 24. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The way back home for rule breakers, which is every single one of us, is the way of grace through repentance. See, character doesn't bring salvation. But I do believe that salvation and trusting Christ ultimately begins to change us, where our character does begin to change. And that means that we need God's help to see the truth about our lives and our characters. And God will enlighten us through times of reflection, but He will also enlighten us in times where doing the right thing is not popular at all. Jesus reminds us, Matthew 5, 43 and 44, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And I've talked to a lot of you, and there's a lot of people around you that just frustrate you. You feel like they're your enemies. How often do you pray for them? How often do you pray for them? As much as you pray for those that you love, do you pray at all? <laughs> How often do, do we pray? And we, we want to have integrity and grace for those around us, loving as God calls us to live, living as He calls us to live honorably. May our lives be this example of grace to others because we reflect Christ, because we are honoring Him, because He has first loved us. Even if everybody else in this world is a Xerxes, because we're to love Jesus more than anything else. And the way that we love Jesus is not to will ourselves into that. It is not to be like, oh, I'm going to really love Him this time. I'm going to really push toward it. It's to understand His great love that has first been given to us. That is what is going to change us. That's going to lead us to a place of humbleness and grace and understanding God's goodness. Now, how do we reflect on that every week at Element? We bring you to the place of communion because it's a reminder of what Christ did to bring us to Himself. And this is why we break the cracker like Christ's body was broken for us, why you dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of His blood that was shed for every single one of us. Because again, we are not saved because of our character. We are saved by the goodness of God. But understanding that goodness of who He is begins to change how we would then live. 
It changes how we see people around us, and it changes how we even understand ourselves and the great salvation that we receive. And so if you want to be someone who begins to live with exemplary character, like Vashti, to say no in the really hard places, it's not going to start with you mustering up enough willpower to say no. It's going to start in a place where we have such confidence in God's grace given to us, such confidence that his love and salvation can never be removed, that no matter where we step into, we are where we are for the purpose and the moments that we are to honor Christ and to love others. Let us be a people who begin to live that way because we understand our own salvation. And if you need prayer today, maybe you feel like someone who's in a situation right now and it's hard to let your yes be yes and your no be no and you're being forced into a, in a place where you're making some bad choices and you want someone to pray with you about that. Well, right out these doors in the lounge across the way. You can go during music. You can go after service. We would love to be able to pray with you and walk with you through uh, some of these things. If you have any prayer requests, we'd love to pray with you. But if you're really going through something like that, we'd really love to be able to pray with you this morning. There's offering boxes on all the walls, and at Element, we give uh, not by passing a plate, but by a response, by understanding God's goodness and love that has been first given to us, and we become a generous people in response to that. And I encourage you to, you know, just take those four questions on the sermon notes, the short little recap, because I know I get back from vacation. Mikey says every time I do, I feel like I'm going a million miles an hour, talking really fast because I'm all excited. Well, you can listen to the podcast, but in a short recap on the back of the sermon notes, ask yourself some of those questions on the front and what it really looks like for the gospel to move and go forward because we have such confidence in what Christ has first done for us. Let, it be, let us be a people who are centered upon the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would move all of us to a place where we understand our own salvation in a way that it causes us to be able to step out into this world in a non-anxious way. Not that we never get anxious. Not that we don't have fears. But we'd be able to live honorably. Letting our yes be yes and our no be no. Because our lives are placed upon the rock. The solid foundation of who you are and what you have done. And then from that, we would not be myopic and just stare at ourselves. We would, we would look up and look around and see where you were calling us to. So that we would live these lives that bring you glory. That there'd be hope to people today who are trying so hard to center upon themselves, to make themselves acceptable to others or even themselves. And that we could show this deep hope that comes from knowing you. That the foundation of our lives do not need, does not need to be ourselves. It is what you have said over us and what you have done in the good news of the gospel. So lead us, guide us, show us the grace, remind us of the grace because we daily need it. And teach us to live honorably in this world reflecting our great God who has saved us. And we would do that in joy and hope as we come together worshiping you. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen. I just want to throw something out there for you. Um, <clears throat> I've had a couple conversations 
in the last few weeks doing the Not So Little Women series. And I really thought this series was going to be a little bit lighter than the Forgive series. But I've had a couple conversations with people who have been through some horrible church backgrounds where if you're a woman, you have felt less than, like you can't question. You felt like a Vashti that as soon as you did say no, you've got pushed out. I want you to understand, if you hear any of us talk about something up here and you have a question, come and ask us because we're on this journey together. And all the people you see up here, none of us are going to be those who are like, how dare you question me? It's like, oh, yeah, this is a good question. Let's talk about it. Because there's been a lot of evil done in the name of Christ. And we need to be a people who start to live in ways that honor the name of Christ instead of tearing it down. And so what I like you to do is first understand that, that we want to understand how we're on this journey together. And secondly, as we take a little bit of time, as we walk through this first song, ask God the places he's leading you into, where the places you need to respond like a Vashti, to be honorable but also seeking to bring others to that place of understanding why you and I live the way that we do. That we'd understand the beauty of how God created us to learn and live with one another. And as you kind of walk through that and allow God to lead you there, you know, come and take communion, come and sing these songs because the glory that we want is never about us. It's about God's glory. And when He is lifted up, He draws all people to Himself. And that includes us. And we get to live in these great ways of peace and joy because of what He has done. So it's focused upon Him. That'll be the change in our lives where we live honorably, not because honor saves us, but because Christ has saved us. And we get to live in that freedom and joy.